Hi. That's Brittany. And that's Jonathan. So we're going to be starting something a little bit different. Um, I know we haven't posted in a really long time. Um, Because we bought a house, so... Yes, we bought a house. House life is... uh, It's a challenging... It's a challenging... I said it's challenging. (laughs) Um, We bought a house, we got engaged, so a lot has been going on. um, And the podcast kind of took the back burner, but we have started reading... The Adventist Home, um, written by Ellen White, while we're engaged as a, like, prep for... Life. Just life in general. We thought married life, but, you know... Just just life. Um, Let me tell you, this book just does not hold back any punches. So, if you are faint of heart, do not read this book. I mean, maybe you need to read it if you're faint of heart. I mean, you should read it. (laughs) Whether you're faint of heart or not, you should read this book, but... uh, if uh, maybe you have a little bit more of a sensitive spirit, skip to a different series. <laughs> um, so essentially what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through the chapters one by one. Each episode is going to be a chapter. Um, or maybe, depending on how long it might it is, we might split a chapter in two or something. Anyways, um, it'll be split into chapters and we're going to go over the book with you so that we can kind of walk you through... Not only what's going on in our lives, but um, how um, what God told Ellen White to to tell us about how we should live our lives as Adventists in our homes. Yeah, it's something that um, now that I've started reading it, there's a lot of things that most people don't realize that we need to be changing and focusing on. And yeah, when you think you're good, you read that book and you realize how not good you are. Like it is, um, is a wake up call for anybody, no matter where you are during your spiritual walk. And I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, it's directed at Adventists, but I think a lot of the messages, uh, are, they're, they're directed at everybody, but they are very helpful for Mm -hmm. anybody, no matter your denomination, religion, or anything. Yeah. Also Adventist home targets, not just husband and wife, but it targets targets children, youth, young adults, those who are looking to get married, uh, husbands, wives, those who've been married for a while, you know, seniors, anybody, a- any age uh, that you are, you can learn from Adventist Home as long as you're open to learning. And I, I think it's it's very much, although it's called the Adventist Home, um, I think at, if at any point in time you would like to have a functional and beneficial home environment, for your family, whether that be you and your spouse, you and your spouse and kids, or just mm-hmm. yourself, I think this is a really beneficial book to read. Oh yeah, very very nice. So to kind of start off, the prologue gives a little, um, um, a little like tidbit about what this book was meant to be. You read the prologues? <laughs> I never read the prologues. Yes, I read the prologue. Um, so essentially, there's a part here that says Ellen G. White has written much and very valuable counsel for parents. She has touched upon every phase of the home and offers specific instructions on many of the problems which give so much concern to thoughtful and often anxious parents today, um, which I thought was a really good summary of this book, although it's, it doesn't um, end at parents. Um, like we said, it, it can help everyone. Um, I think it's... It's a good book to to help prepare yourself um, to build an Adventist home in your future. Mm-hmm. Even just, if you're not an Adventist, just a generally a good Christian home. 
Yeah. One that will stand the trials of time and anything the world can throw at it. Yeah. And stand apart from yes. worldly stuff. <laughs> worldly stuff. Um, okay. So obviously we're going to start with chapter one, um, which is called the atmosphere of the home. What? I wanted to start at the end. <laughs> Um, so what I did is I kind of went through the chapters and, or at least the first few chapters and wrote down quotes that stood out to me. Um, and then we'll kind of discuss each one. So the first one I have here, um, is subtitled home is the, the heart of all activity. Um, and it says society is composed of families and is what the heads of families make it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true that even if um no she no she goes later into the book that you know and a lot of people have the mentality that husband's supposed to be the head of the household um but getting aside from that if you look at a household you can tell who's the head of the house and just by the way the house runs and how that person acts you can tell exactly what is wrong with the house by who leads it and how they lead it yeah and I, and I, what, what kind of shook me about that, that quote is that, um, we're directly responsible for societal norms and issues. Um, a lot of the time Christians are like, oh, the, everyone is so worldly and the, the things that are accepted and normal in the world, well, why are we not as families who make up society changing the norms? Mm -hmm. It's something that I've seen a lot of people, I guess, brush aside or not really consider the fact that. Hey, listen. You're if you're if you're wondering why your kids aren't in church, if you're wondering why your kids are doing this, that, and the other thing, and being delinquents. Well, guess what? You, as heads, as uh, you know, heads of that family, are directly responsible for that. So if they're acting up or they're not doing what they're supposed to, that's on you. Mm -hmm. And that'll have an influence on the rest of society. Because how you act in your home will influence how others, other people's kids act in their home. A community, uh, what is it? Is a it's a child needs a community to be raised or something like that. Oh, it's uh, it takes so it takes a village to raise a family to raise a child. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not just about how your parents are or how it is in the home. It's about how it is everywhere and everyone they interact with. Yeah. So um, the next one I had here is um, from the subtitle, The Sweetest Type of Heaven, which is supposed to be home. Um, and home is, she's saying that home is supposed to be a little heaven upon earth where affections are cultivated instead of being studiously rep repressed, where our happiness depends upon this cultivation of love, sympathy, and true courtesy to one another. Hmm. Um. Which I think, unfortunately, today, most kids want to escape their homes um, that are filled with, like, tension, secrets, and unrealistic ideals. Um, and that's not how God intended family homes to be. No, he intended families to be very close-knit and tight and for them to come together and not be seeking to go anywhere else. Like, I'm, I'm trying to remember, is this chapter one or chapter two where she says... Um, uh, the home should be the most inviting place that kids, they should always seek to go back home. It should be something, it should be a safe haven, it should be um, the most warm place for them. And I think if I remember correctly, I'm not sure how she phrased it, but um, she was saying at the center of that, 
the most sought after person in the house should be the mother. Okay. I don't think I got to that part yet. I think it's in chapter, it's in chapter one or two, because I remember listening to it on my way here. Uh, but I can't <laughs> remember which chapter it's in. That's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think um, it, I am, like your mom always says, this is your soft spot to land. And I think that's that's exactly what God meant it to be. It meant it to be when you go out in the world, it's going to be stressful. It's going to be a lot to handle. But you always have a home where God and godly people are to fall back on. Mm-hmm. For if the will of God is fulfilled, the husband and wife will respect each other and cultivate love and confidence. Yeah, it's... A lot of people take verses in the Bible out of context, but... If you actually read and understand, and this is one thing that another home is good for, it's that she elaborates on certain parts of the Bible and um, shows people where they took them out of context wrong. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, wow, same thing applies here. Yeah. And I, I think um, if God is at the forefront of your home and of your relationship, then essentially you're building the correct foundations for a healthy Adventist home. Yep. Um, okay, so importance of the home atmosphere. Uh, the atmosphere surrounding the souls of fathers and mothers fills the whole house and is felt in every department of the home. When I read that, that hit me hard because... Yeah, as parents, you're supposed to be the... the what's the word? We're not conduit, but... Pretty much, you're, you're supposed to be the two people in the house that make sure that the house stays a happy and joyous home. If, you're kind of, if your attitude stinks, well, guess what? Your house's attitude is going to stink. And yeah. not many parents realize that. Well, and um, I don't want to, like, I don't want to say that your, your, your parents did a bad job raising you guys because they definitely didn't. But an example of that that I can think of is sometimes church has made them very jaded Yes. And very like, why? Okay, I don't want to. And that that attitude was very, very obvious for you guys. And you mm-hmm. guys caught on to that same attitude. And it took you a while to kind of get back into the groove of, okay, church is important. And I, I need to like it and to be there. Yeah. It was, uh, it's very hard for kids when their parents aren't always happy. Okay. That's one important thing that um uh parents forget to do okay one rule that a parent should have is never let your kids see you guys fight mm. and or argue heavily on like really serious things okay yeah. if you need to do that step outside the room go someplace else to to get into those huge arguments all right because or make in sure a child's mind it just it just looks like Oh, mom and dad aren't happy with each other. They don't love each other like other people do. And I found often when parents fight and they don't love each other, children start to think that either or like either parent doesn't like the other half of themselves. I notice that in my sister a lot because, um, well, my half sister, I mean, I don't like saying that because she's, she's my full on sister. Um, mm. But her mom doesn't like my dad and my dad doesn't like her mom. Whereas, um, my dad tried to avoid saying anything bad about her mom around her. Um, unfortunately, her mom did mention quite a lot how much Chelsea was like her da- her dad, 
but also yeah. how much she disliked her dad and that made Chelsea dislike half of herself and she's only realizing now as a full-grown adult how much of her she missed out on because she tried to suppress half of herself yeah it's one thing that parents um how should I, I, was, I was going somewhere and I lost my train of thought but parents need to remember that how they the small little comments or uh little tidbits of information that they that they may just like let slip out about their their spouse or about mm-hmm. somebody else will impact um th- how the child sees that person or themselves or, or themselves because like sometimes you might be like oh this person ugh, they're just so ugh. and then the child's looking at them like oh well, i don't trust this person anymore. oh no you should still go and give them a hug that's conflicting messages and children will get messed up they're like well who can i trust anymore it gets really confusing mm-hmm. and I mean you always have to keep in mind as a parent that your children are parts of you and your spouse yeah. so when you fight that creates conflict within a child that's mm-hmm. very very hard to understand as a person who's never been through that or doesn't understand that it's affecting them because both of you are them yeah and when you tell them certain information about people either your spouse or the other you have to keep in mind that they will act upon that information you can't mm-hmm. expect them to hear uh well you know your dad was like a, a druggie back in the day and expect them not to internalize that and treat your spouse a little differently differently like that they won't trust them as hard they'll see you in a whole new light so keep that in mind when telling your kids certain pieces of your past and I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to tell your kids about your past. It has to be done in the right context, though. Mm-hmm. And with the right attitude. Yeah. With the through. story of them overcoming it, right? Like, yeah. not just like, oh, yeah, I used to do tons of drugs back in the yeah. day. Bah, bah, bah. And you then can't. tell your kids not to do drugs. <laughs> like, you can't just go up like, oh, your dad is such a dog. And then you're like, you need to respect your father. What? Yeah, what? Exactly. Such conflicting messages? Yeah. Um... Actually, I, I kind of like what I wrote here when I was studying this. Um, when when you feel like there's an elephant in the room, like that feeling that you feel where there's so much tension and it feels so awkward that you're just like, okay, let me just leave or bring mm-hmm. it up because even though it'll be so painful to bring it up, it's way better than dealing with this elephant in the room. Could you imagine how detrimental that feeling would be if it resonated throughout the home if mm-hmm. that tension was there between the parents? Yeah. Anytime there's tension between the parents, it just destroys what little happiness kids can bring to the home and they can't, they don't know what to do. And Ellen White touches more on that uh, when dealing and raising kids. She talks about how fragile they are. Mm. You have to keep in mind, yeah, kids are pretty much made of rubber, but their happy, (laughs) happy little worlds are very fragile. Yeah. So, and it's very easy to completely crush that happy little world in the sense that, like, it'll stay dark for a long time. Yeah, that's another thing a lot of parents don't realize is if you traumatize a child early, that is years and hundreds of dollars in therapy that you that it's going to be down the road that you have doomed your child to. I know sometimes it's sometimes you just. You did it and now you're learning you're like oh man i wish i didn't do that but help your children 
help them through it, talk them through so that way they don't have to go through serious counseling. They've still been traumatized, but now you help to heal that trauma. Well, and, and, and um, validate it. Yeah. Because they can bounce back. Kids can bounce back if they fall on their knees and scrape their knees. Um, they can't bounce back as easily when it comes to... Emotional or mental trauma. Yeah. Cause or distress, I think just even. Adults know how to cope a little bit better. <laughs> we, we all suck at it pretty bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're a little bit better than kids. Kids have not gone through anything big enough that they needed to learn how to cope yet. So it's it sinks in and it sinks in hard. Yeah, and you want to be able to teach your kids to cope with stuff. I'm pretty sure she touches on that later in the, in okay. the book, so that's not... Okay. Um, so the next one I have here, um, which we talk about a lot when we talk about um, vegetarianism. Veggies. I love me some veggies. If you would be a saint in heaven, you must first be a saint on earth. The traits of character you cherish in life will not be changed by death mm. or by resurrection. Mm. Our daily lives are determining our destiny. Yep, that is a big one that I find that a lot of people don't really comprehend. The only thing you will take to heaven with you is your character. Not the your body. Thing. Not your friends, not your things. Yeah. Just your character. And all of you are like, yeah, I'm not taking anything with me. I'm just taking... But they understand. To get into heaven, you need to have... Already... A Christ-like a... character. Your, your character has to be worthy to be let into heaven so that you will not sin again. I've seen so many people and people who cannot give up chicken i'm not saying chicken isn't tasty or it's not this or it's not that and i'm not saying chicken isn't healthy but it's not what you eat it's your attitude towards what you eat if you're like yeah i eat chicken once a week and you know i could i could go a week without eating chicken i'd be like you know what cool you know what eat your chicken but just keep in mind you know try to cut out meat every once in a while and people are like yeah i can do that but it's the people who are like no i can't get out go without chicken i need chicken i need i need meat i knew this girl if she listened to this podcast she'll be like that's me who literally we were at a camping trip and she looked at a score i'm like you can't don't kill this but she's like but it's meat <laughs> meat i'm just like we're at a camping trip it's a vegetarian camping trip you will survive it's only a weekend she's like meat and then the squirrel took off she's like you ruined my chance at getting meat i'm like but there are actually people who i've met who have that same attitude towards certain things in life. And it's that attitude that will keep you from perfecting your character, from being, from getting to that Christ-like character. Because if you can't live without killing an animal in heaven, Christ won't let you in. If you can't live without certain stuff, he's not going to let you in there. Yeah. And he's not going to create a dead bird just for you to eat. And I mean... <laughs> I mean, Ellen White talks about it in uh, in different in a different book. On, uh, like, I think Council on Diet. Yeah, Council on Diet and Food. She goes hard on. But that. she mentions oh, that, like, she says, like flesh flesh meat is like the worst thing ever. But that it's your hard. your your appetite and oh, oh, yeah. the way that you control your appetite is the first step to getting closer to Christ. Because mm -hmm. if you can't control even small cravings for your appetite, how are you supposed to control urges that the devil puts in your mind? It's 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 very true. Controlling, I, I can't remember. I think it's in Counseling, Diet, and Food. She hints at it a lot in a lot of her books, but if you can control your cravings, your like your diet, if you can control your your hunger, 
you can pretty much overcome almost any sin. Yeah. Any sin. Because it's as training. You, it's the easiest one to train that takes the least amount of things, but it's, the, but it's one of the ones that takes the most dedication. If you mm-hmm. can train yourself to not give in to your cravings, even Ellen White, she used to be one of those, like, I need bacon and this and that. And she hated writing the diet. Became... Oh, she hated it so hard. When she became vegetarian, she oh. had to, like, slather her veggies in, like, mayo and, and like, tons of stuff so she could eat it. Oh, she did not like writing that book. She knew, and God told her, you know, this is what's important. This is how you should eat. She hated it. She eventually got around and started to adapt to the point where she was eating, you know, a whole you know um uh, a whole food diet but when she started it was nice so yeah keep that in mind well we may even touch on diet and food later but yeah that's a anyways hard to to get back to character mm-hmm. in a home though the character that you have and that you show to your children first of all if you are not healed and have a so uh, okay so put into perspective you've been through some things in your life and you have a broken um, like you're broken, like your soul it does isn't fully healed. I don't think it's a good time for you to have kids if you're like that, because mm-hmm. that trauma will be passed down to your children and they will have to heal from not only your trauma, but their own trauma as well. Nature and nurture. There's actually a study shown that um, certain memories and skills are actually passed down by nature and not by nurture to children. So epigenetics. Yeah, certain yeah. kids can pick up skills from their parents without being taught. They just have an affinity to a certain skill. That's it and also it's the same thing with trauma. And fears. Mm-hmm. The same way that most people are scared of spiders, but spiders have never done anything to us. It's a, a passed down <laughs> fear because they used to be a threat. Mm-hmm. And like the things like that, right? That's also I don't want to go into that fully, but um uh complex PTSD for um people who who their ancestors have been through slavery and and stuff like that that trauma that generational trauma is passed down and almost normalized nowadays the mm. the way people cope with that trauma because they don't know what's happening in their head it's the same reason why like a lot of black people like I know there's other reasons but why a lot of black people are scared of cops because back in slavery People who enforce the law weren't always too kind to them. They'd send them right back to their masters. Also why a lot of black men are afraid of white women. Yes. Because white women... Did you know that there was a term for Karen during slavery? It was Miss Anne. Because it was the slave master's wife that if any of the slaves did anything that she didn't like, she could all of a sudden be like, he tried to rape me. And then they would get lynched. So, it, like, that's a, a generational trauma that's passed down of, like, we're afraid of you because, and a lot of white people seem to think it's like, oh, they have a chip on their shoulder. I'm like, no, no, they actually have trauma that they can't deal with because we're not acknowledging it. Yeah. It's trauma is one thing that the one who caused it has to acknowledge the fact that they caused that trauma and that they need to then apologize for that trauma then the healing can start a lot of the problem with especially with let's say black uh black lives matter is most people who are in a position or descendants of the people who caused the trauma aren't willing or educated to 
accept and be like, I'm sorry that we caused you this trauma. Let's try and heal and fix that. Because if they did, they would have, around the world, we'd have half the problems that we do now. Yeah. And I, I think a, a big thing with that is that if your character isn't as close to or becoming closer to what you would like it to be, mm-hmm. your children will take on the bad parts of your traits. A lot of parents don't realize how what they don't like about themselves until they have mini-me's. And then mm. they're like, oh my god, I'm annoying. Oh, yeah. And then you're just like, man, I do that? I'm so annoying. And... and those traits, a lot of parents are like, oh, my kids are going to be better than me. No, no, no. They keep the traits that you will not let go of. And they won't change once they get to heaven. Yeah, and they they won't become better than you unless you teach them to be better than you. And, and train you become them. better yourself. Yeah. yeah, so many people are like, my kids are just going to be better than me. Nope. <laughs> That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Um, and I think you want... The, the way you want to do that is to make your your character that will influence your children's character into something that you wouldn't only be proud of, but never embarrassed of once Christ mm-hmm. comes back. Yeah, because uh, when he comes back and starts looking at your kid's character, he's coming straight to you people. He's like, what have you done with my children? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Next one. This is probably going to get split in two because this is long and we're oh, only yeah. at chapter one. <laughs> yeah, halfway through chapter one. Okay. Um, so every Christian home should have rules and parents should, in their words mm-hmm. and deportment toward each other, give to the children a precious living example of what they desire them to be. Oh yeah, I could preach on this for a long time, but I'll keep it short. I know that in my experience... Like, my parents would be, specifically, uh, my mother would be like, um, you know, who, whoever uh, cooks doesn't have to clean, all right? And I'd be like, oh, cool, I'll cook next time, so I don't have to clean up. Everyone else would have to clean up. That would be great. And then i cook, and then I was like, hey, I don't have to clean. She'd be like, no, you have to clean. You made a mess. Clean up as you go. I'm like, that's not the rules. The rules was whoever cooks doesn't have to clean. <laughs> And yeah. so switching rules will not, because that just invalidates your own authority in the house. If you make a rule, you need to be the rule. You need to live by the rule no matter what. And if you break the rule, there has to be consequences for you as well. Yeah. So that way the kids see the rules of the house as being absolute. Then they will also respect God's rules and see them as absolute. And not just um, something that you need to find a loophole for. Yeah. Um. And, and also give that example that God will not change his rules according to his mood. Because mm-hmm. his mood is always the same. He's never, he's the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, always. Mm-hmm. There's, he's not going to change the commandments because he's not happy he's with. having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had a bad day. It's okay to murder. That's no, <laughs> not, not how it goes. Um, but like walk the talk. Because monkey see, monkey do. Yes. And if you want monkey to <laughs> not do what you do, then you need to not do what you do. Exactly. So that's one thing that I think parents need to like really keep in mind. If you make a rule, you, especially you, need to be judged by that rule. Because what king um, 
Like, any good ruler that makes a bunch of rules and doesn't live by them and is not really nice to the subjects, they usually have a rebellion, and the mm. guillotine was invented for a specific reason, okay? Yeah. So, like God, you need to be the law, and by being the law, you need to walk the talk. Mm-hmm. And that, that normalized saying of, like, do as I say, not as I do oh, is the I stupidest sentence I've ever heard in my life. I hate that. Because it's it's just wrong. It teaches kids that once they grow up, they can do whatever they want and that they don't have to respect authority anymore. Yeah. Like, you can't expect kids to respect their elders if their elders aren't respecting them. Yeah. Now, I understand if, like, you're just like, this isn't particularly safe, but I don't have the tools to do it. Please do not try this and you do something stupid. But I mean, there's context, that, right? There, like, there's certain things that you're just like, okay, you shouldn't do that. But like, don't use that as a catch-22 statement where you're just like, do as I say and not as I do. Kids will resent you and they will learn that if you don't follow the rules, why should I follow the rules? And don't think that just beating them into submission mm. will change anything. Because once they leave, they're going to down spiral out of control. Yeah. Meetings don't solve problems. That's like, um, do you remember, so this is a girl that worked with us. I'm not going to say her name because I'm not sure if she wants the people to, anyways. Okay. Um, so her mom always, always told her, you can't have sugar. You can't have this. You can't have that. And like, uh, she, she was <laughs> like, she would be like, oh my God, I can't eat that. There's sugar in that granola oh. bar. Like she oh, was, yeah, she was super weird about it. But oh, the thing is, is that hilarious. like, now she's gone so far from what her parents wanted yeah, her to she be. She was a very, she had a very strict upbringing. She was like pretty much, if you could think of your stereotypical uh, sheltered Christian girl, yeah. that's what she was like. And, and now, now she's now gone she, completely out of the whoosh. box, which she's an amazing woman. Oh, yeah. And I have nothing against pieces. who she is now. Oh no, love her to pieces. But like when, but, when I first met her, like, you can't even... I was sitting there eating in the break room, and I was like, you can't even eat a granola. Oh, uh, no, it was... Try this. Try, come on. It was and the look like, on her face. No, my parents are going to be... I'm like, it's a granola bar. It's not even chocolate dipped. It doesn't have fudge in the middle. It's a plain granola bar. And then she said... I remember the first time she snuck sugar home. I was like, yes. <laughs> That's so funny. She, didn't she put it in, like, a box of Cliff Bars or something? Something like, like that. She <laughs> snuck some sugar home, and then... Yeah, she's still she's still an amazing person, but keep Absolutely. in mind. But her parents wouldn't have wanted that for her, although they're okay with her now. Yes. They wouldn't have wanted that for her. And if you want your kids to be a certain way, you can't just reproof. You have to love too. You have to love and you have to educate. You can't just say, don't do this. Why? Because I said so. Oh my God. Yeah, that is another thing that we as children, <laughs> we when we were children, hated that thing. All right? But you can't say... Uh, just not buy them sugar and expect explain to them why they shouldn't have sugar show them mm -hmm. why they shouldn't have sugar like tell them this will wreck your body it's okay to have it in moderation you know but we you need to educate you can't just expect them to follow monkey see doesn't always mon monkey do monkey needs to know and be educated yeah just like with workers okay they have a right to know yeah um so next one here Teach the children and youth to respect themselves. Which, this is my favorite mm. sentence in the world. <laughs> because to teach someone to respect themselves means to, first of all, respect yourself by setting healthy boundaries. 
and living a healthy emphasis on the healthy boundaries. Yes, healthy boundaries and living a healthy and godly lifestyle, but also to respect them and their boundaries just as you want people to respect yours and respect and um, expect others to respect yours and their boundaries. Facts of life. Because if you have boundaries for yourself, let me let me take this as an example here. Um you close the door when you go to the bathroom. Mhm. You expect your children to respect that boundary for yourself, that that's your alone time while you're in the bathroom. If you don't respect that boundary for them, when they close the door to the bathroom, if you come in all the time while they're in the bathroom, you're not teaching them to respect themselves. You're teaching them that their boundaries are worthless. Yeah, that no matter what they're going through or who they are... (laughs) You, all that is negated because, you know, you're their mom, you're their dad. Just because you're their mother or father doesn't mean you get the right to violate their privacy. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen it before. Who cares? That's, that's, oh, I don't like that. That is that's the, the most cringy. cringy thing I have ever heard. And any parent that says that, well, I've seen it before. That's not cool. That's not because that's it, it makes them cool. feel like their body isn't theirs. It's yours at that point. And that's not fair. Sometimes I understand that in context. Like if, you know, they ran out of the shower and you happen to see it and they're just like so ashamed of it. You're like, it's fine. That's it's fine. fine. Try to play it off. But like, don't make that the normal of like, ah, well, I've seen it before. So it's fine. And you just walk in on them whenever. And I think that's the, uh, um, like privacy is a big boundary. But when, as they get older, they'll start to create, um, different boundaries for themselves and you need to respect those boundaries because if you Mm -hmm. want them to respect your boundaries you have to respect theirs you can't be in their lives 100 percent 24 7 if they because then they won't respect themselves and when someone else comes into their life and doesn't respect their boundaries they're not going to know that that's not okay yeah and also if you don't if you don't like one of their boundaries you need to go and discuss that with them and figure out why they have that kind of boundary, and you might, you might be less threatened by their boundary if there's an explanation behind it. If you guys come to yeah. consensus, like why do you have this boundary uh, for me? And they'd be like, well, uh, because of this. And you're like, no, that's fine. You can, you can find, you can come to a consensus some where you meet at middle ground. You're like, okay, where both parties are satisfied with where the boundary is laid, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. If you want your kids to turn to outstanding adults who will benefit society, you can't always uh, treat them like children their entire life, and you can't always negate the fact that they have boundaries. They're becoming adults, and you need to treat them like they're adults. They are still human beings that can make decisions, and you should be teaching them how to make decisions for themselves. Ellen White also does touch on that later in the chapter, that, yeah, you, you can't just... Yes, you have to involve children in certain small decisions. They need to know that they are valued in the house, but you cannot let them run the house. You as mm-hmm. parents are ordained by God to be the head of the house. The child is not. God designed families so that way you could teach and raise them and show them what is right in the world. So, so if that- your kid wants to eat sugar, don't let them eat sugar because that's they don't know. You need to teach them. It's not okay to eat sugar. Why? Because it will rot your teeth out. And God designed this body to run on better things. This is something man-made because sin and the devil. And because we want things to be sweeter. But also, if you take the time to raise them correctly, then they will become upstanding 
mm-hmm. leaders of homes as well. But also educate them on why we do what we do, and they'll be able to defend why they do what they do. Because mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of kids where they turn out very, very nicely, but they have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. And when they meet against resistance, they get pushed over so easily. Yeah. And then they fall hard. You need to give them something to stand on. You can't like, you need to do this. Why? Because, you know, we love Jesus. Yeah, we love Jesus, but oh, what else? There's, you got to give them some substance. Why? Why do you go to church? Because my mommy and daddy said so. I'm sorry. If you, By the time you reach high school and college and stuff like that, if you go to the outside world, you'll be chewed apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so next one. They will create a pure atmosphere. Um, one that will have an influence that will encourage weak souls in the upward path that leads to holiness and heaven. So we were talking about character earlier. Um, the same kind of like ripple effect that words have and things like that have by teaching kids to respect themselves and by teaching them to have um, a Christ-like character um, and to create healthy boundaries, you encourage um, a healthy relationship with God that they will unknowingly evangelize to whoever they talk to. Mm-hmm. Like just by being, they're, they're just yeah. there and it influences other people to want to be more like them, which is in turn more like Christ. Facts. Yeah, kids, if, sometimes parents want to be the evangelist, but sometimes they forget that once you become parents, you are raising the evangelists. Mm-hmm. And, they will evangelize for you based on how you raise them. A lot of people want to think, I still have to go and reach out to people. No, your your time is up as that kind of, I'm going to influence young people's lives. I'm going to go here. And, no, you're now raising the next generation to go and do that. If you didn't, if you still want to be an evangelist, you shouldn't have had children. But the thing is, is that you can still evangelize, but people yes. will come to you because your child has an attitude that will bring the parents of other children to you and go, what did you do to get them to be like that? Mm-hmm. And that's your chance to evangelize. Yeah, you have a different you have a different um, audience that you'll be ministering to. Yeah. And that's the thing. Your audience has switched from individuals to the parents and families. Yeah. So we're going to end the episode there for today. So stay tuned for part two of chapter one, because we have a lot to say, apparently. Yeah, this this is going to be a long series, so buckle up and uh, get some popcorn. Actually, no, get healthy food, okay? Get some veggies, <laughs> get a veggie platter, and get some water. Ooh, get vegetarian sushi. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> Anyways, hope you guys enjoyed, and look forward uh, to chatting about this more. Stay in school. Stab school. Stay in stab school.